Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. It's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. NHL tonight, 13 minutes left. Panthers and Maple Leafs tied 3-3. 15 minutes left. Stars up 4-2 on the Rangers. Late second period, Philadelphia leading Detroit 1-0. Oilers, Coyotes tomorrow. Of course, we have it for you on 6.30, Chad. 5.30 face-off show. The game is at 7. Leon Dreisaitl, the first star of the week in the NHL. Eight points in three games last week. You know, even then, it's two games, and, you know, it can change very quickly. So um, we got to keep going. We have to get better. Um, we have to, um, you know, keep keep playing our game, building our game. And, um, you know, at the end, uh, you know, hopefully it'll, uh, it'll be enough. Tracy texts in to 780-496-0063. Says, still get a smile when hearing even non-Oilers and Flames fans, hockey people, talk about the game. People are talking about the stick flip, but I'm wondering if Yamo and a couple of other players made a point of celebrating with their arms wide open, leaning on one skate and nodding the head. Riddick tends to do that at times, just saying. That is from Tracy. And Buster says... Hey, Reed. wonder what happens when James Neal comes back into the lineup out for two games. I don't think the Oilers missed a beat without him. I think that's an interesting question, Buster. Here's what I think is going to happen. I think when Neal is well enough to play, and he, all the Oilers have said is that he's day-to-day, so it could be back tomorrow. I don't know. It's, it's a bit of a foot issue. I think that given how Dave Tippett has handled some of the veteran players, that he would put Neil back up with McDavid and Cassian to start it off, knowing that there might be some other options there, like Archibald, like maybe Tyler Benson, who knows. I, I think Benson's going to make his debut here pretty soon. You could put him on a third line with maybe with Shane and Archibald if Neil's healthy, maybe with uh, you know Shane and Chason or whoever they decide to play there. I guess Patrick Russell played there last game. Uh, I you know I don't think that. All of a sudden, we push James Neal aside, but he hasn't been great five on five. He's helped more on the power play. And if they're going to, I mean, there's no sense breaking up Dry Settle, Nugent Hopkins, and Yamamoto. So McDavid and Cassian are going to be together. Who's the third piece? Neal is a streaky scorer who can finish, isn't great five on five. Archibald doesn't have high end offensive skill, but he plays with energy and tenacity, and he can make some offensive plays. Made a nice pass to Cassian the other night. And, and again, maybe the wild card is Benson, that if he's good with puck protection and seeing passing lanes, maybe he gets some time there. So the good thing about the Oilers, and one of the reasons they're better than last season, is that they have viable options there. Maybe not 
lock it in options, but they at least have some competent options to play in some of those spots. But yeah, you know, fair comment about Neil. I, I, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't write him off. I think Tippett's still going to give him opportunities up there, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, he struggled five-on-five, five and the Oilers were able to produce without him in the lineup the last two games. We'll leave it at that. Okay. And Matthew Kachuk and Ethan Bear are going to drop the gloves. Bear belts him with the right hand. Kachuk counters with a straight right. Right hook, Ethan Bear. Left jab, Matthew Kachuk. And now we're going to have a goalie fight. Bear throws the right hand. Here comes Cam Talbot and Mike Smith. They're going to go with center ice. Talbot short with the right hand. Smith, three clubbing right hand. some of the most popular audio in oil country over the last 48 hours courtesy this man jack michaels who joins us from arizona where the oilers will play tomorrow jack how are you doing buddy i'm doing well reed thanks for having me on well uh, you know i i know you don't do your job to be the star of the show but look man you're getting a lot of accolades for that call on saturday night great game all around a lot of action and the the fights the goalie fight kind of the signature moment and and i've listened over and over myself jack i gotta compliment you you brought it and uh, you painted the picture really well done well i appreciate that i i would say this i mean Look, the players make the games, and I think uh, we're just accompaniments. And so, you know, I would say this, uh, and I was just talking with one of our colleagues, Louis DeBrusque, about this exact same thing. I think the biggest thing we have to recognize about this whole scenario is that, you know, were it not for a couple of non-calls on Matthew Kachuk for charging, we wouldn't be talking about any of this because none of it would have happened. I mean, the, the biggest thing that the officials have done all year long is do the Battle of Alberta a huge favor by maybe not calling a charging penalty or two. So you let them play and this is what happens. And I think the sport is better for it. I, I said that on Saturday night. Uh, I don't care what the people in the East think or, you know, and, and look, I'm from I'm from Penguins Flyers country. So I have an appreciation for what a good hockey rivalry is. There is nothing like the Battle of Alberta when it's going. I remember the 91 playoff series. I remember 86. I remember 84. Uh, look, I'm the first one to, you know, advocate for Penguins, Flyers, and all that stuff. It doesn't even hold a candle uh, to when the back, uh, Battle of Alberta is going. And you just heard Kyler Yamamoto the other night summing up perfectly. What's the one thing you've learned? I've learned we hate each other. That's a great way to put it. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. It's about time we've got a little hate going in professional sports. Yeah, well, that's the beauty of it. That this is genuine. These aren't staged fights or I'm going to you know, hit this guy, but we have the same agent and we host a golf tournament in the offseason. This is genuine. i got to ask you something else. I mean, you and I often will get into reflections from your career. Your ostrich race story remains an all-time classic moment on Inside Sports. But I've never asked you about goalie fights. The Oilers haven't had one since 2004, so you've never called one in the National Hockey League. In, in your years of covering other teams and other levels of hockey, have you had to call a goalie fight before, or was that your first? No, absolutely. I've had goalie fights before. Even better... Uh, you, I'm not sure I've told this story, but I called a male-female potential goalie fight. Here's the setup. The head coach of the Long Beast Ice Dogs was 
Kevin Killer Kaminsky. He was the guy that kind of Alan May, Bob Stauffer's favorite colleague of all time, I believe, uh, replaced as the enforcer in Washington. But Killer was, I mean, Killer was your size, Reed, and maybe another 20 pounds. He was as tough as they come. Uh, a slap shot from, I think, Peter Svoboda broke his face. I mean, literally broke every bone in his face. He'd fight anyone. I mean, he'd fight our colleague, Louis DeBrus. Like, Kevin Killer Kamensky would fight anyone. In fact, he's fought him twice. So this guy was the head coach of the Long Beach Ice Dogs. Uh, he had a guy by the name of Tyler Willis playing for him, who was the equivalent of Kevin Killer Kamensky, except never played in the NHL. He's a five foot eight tough guy. He got kicked out of this game for fighting three times. And three fighting majors. They forgot to kick him out after the second one. So we got three fighting majors in the same game. <laughs> Later in the game, it developed. And the whole time, Long Beach is playing a female goalie, uh, a woman by the name of Danielle Dubay, who would later ultimately get her first professional victory for, you guessed it, the Bakersfield Condors when they were members of the ECHL back in the day. But this is before she went to Bakersfield, before Bakersfield obviously was in the American League and and primary affiliate of the Edmonton Oilers. So Danielle Dubay is playing net, and then, you know, Tyler Willis is running around, three fights. Anyways, there's late in the game, there's a line brawl. And Kevin Killer Kaminsky, I'll never forget it. The, the goaltender for the Alaska Aces was a guy by the name of Ryan Pearson from Winnipeg. He was sitting there in his crease watching Total Mayhem, five on five. And Kevin Killer Kaminsky, I immediately started looking at the Long Beach bench because I know what kind of a guy Killer is. And sure enough, he ordered Danielle Dubay down the ice. So here she comes. She took her helmet off and flew across center ice. And Ryan Pearson, I'll never forget it, just skated right off the ice, ordered the rink attendant to open the door, and he went and waited in the hallway until, you know, the mayhem ended. And that is a true story anchored to Sullivan Arena 2002-2003 campaign. You had never told me that before. That is amazing. Wow. What, what? That is legit. That's an incredible story. Oh, Jack Michaels. Look up, by the way, look up Killer Kamensky. Him and Alan May got into a scrap at an alumni game, in a Capitals alumni game. It's on YouTube. Jack Michaels joining us on Inside Sports. He's with the Oilers in Arizona where they will take on the Coyotes tomorrow. Well, I mean, it's been fun talking about Saturday's game for the last 48 hours. We have to look ahead. It's another big one for the Oilers. Uh, We talked about this four-game stretch coming out of their break. Five out of six points. Chance to make it seven out of eight. Another big divisional game tomorrow. And, I I mean, so many good stories. And look, Jack, all all the fighting aside on Saturday night... The Oilers controlled that game, and, and another top-notch game for Drysdale, Nugent Hopkins, and Yamamoto. Well, I mean, that's the thing. The one thing I'll say about all the you know fisticuffs and everything is I hope it doesn't obscure the fact for people that Edmonton might have played its best game of the entire year. I mean, season-high eight goals, season-high 49 shots on net. I mean, they were dominant. 
I mean, they took Calgary to the woodshed. I mean, they tied a club record. You looked it up for me after the second period. They had 24 shots in the second period alone. I mean, they they destroyed Calgary in every phase of the game. They won the physical battles. They won all the puck battles on the half wall. They won all the battles in all three zones. I mean, think of how many second chances the Leon Drysaddle, Connor Yamamoto, and Ryan Nugent-Hopkins line generated alone in the offensive zone by playing hard defense. They were forcing turnovers. They were turning pucks over and getting second and third chances all night. Edmonton was relentless. I mean, that's the that's the biggest word. And actually, Dave Tippett used that word this morning at practice to describe his team's effort. They, and when the score was 6-3, 7-3, they were playing it like it was 1-1. And I thought, considering all the circumstances, not only the second of a back-to-back, but the third game and four nights coming off the break, you talk about the definition of a professional athlete. To maintain your level of condition when you haven't played a, a game in 11 days and maintain a physical and emotional pitch for a 72-hour period for two of the fiercest battles of Alberta in the last 30 years. D2, I would say. D2, fiercest games those two teams have played since the 1991 playoffs. And then, oh, in between, the defending Stanley Cup champions who were fresh as the days and had two days off in Edmonton just sitting there waiting for the Oilers to survive the Wednesday game against the Flames. I think it's one of the more bet. I think it is, without a doubt, the best regular season stretch of hockey the Edmonton Oilers have played since I've been the commentator. And I include... Everything. You know, 12 out of 14 down the stretch, 2017. I think if you lump in all the circumstances coming off the break and then playing those three games against those two opponents, I think it's as impressive in the regular season that Edmonton's played in the last decade. And I don't think it's that close. And so you really have to go back, considering what the seasons were from 07 to 10, you really have to say, this is as well as Edmonton has played over a prolonged stretch in the regular season in 15 years. Yeah, yeah, it's been pretty impressive for sure. Jack, before I let you go, I got to ask you about your day on Sunday. I mean, obviously it was the Super Bowl yesterday, but you got to roll another event into that that a lot of sports fans are going to appreciate. Tell me about, about your viewing yesterday. Oh, I love going out to golf tournaments. I, I used to go, when I lived in Colorado, I'd go to a tournament called the International Read. Remember when they used the Stableford scoring system and so yep. you get five points for an eagle and that kind of thing? That was a great tournament. And the big hitters love to play there because, of course, high altitude, you'd see at that time the big easy Phil Mickelson. I mean, they were pounding at 320 when no one else was even coming close to 300. And they were just drilling the ball. And uh, so I, I like getting out to a golf tournament every once in a while. And it just so happened we arrived in Scottsdale and more than enough time to take in the Waste Management Open. Real good tournament down the stretch. In my opinion, the wrong guy won. I'm a Tony Finau guy. I'm not, you know, Webb Simpson. Uh, he's an example of one of the reasons I occasionally root for Europe in the Ryder Cup. But in any event, uh, it was it was – Shot-making at its best, and I, I just I just love watching good golf played on good golf courses because, Reed, as you know, all I can do is play bad golf on good golf courses. <laughs> as as we have done together at times, Jack. I, I want to correct that. I don't even play bad golf. 
I play what is an extremely poor imitation of anything that's right about the game of golf. I don't play golf. It's a disservice to golf to say that I play golf. It's embarrassing. Well, as I often say, as you know, Jack, I, I recommitted to the sport about three summers ago and took some lessons and played a little more, and I often say I improved. I improved from terrible to horrible. So there you go. <laughs> uh, Reed, you hit the ball very straight. You And, and one of these days you're going to hit the ball as far as my son Tyler. And that was when my son Tyler, when he was about eight or nine. <laughs> I, but you do. You hit a straight ball. And you know what, Reed? The biggest thing with you is if you have a decent putting day, you're going to score exceptionally well. I've played with you when you should have shot 81 or 82 and you shot 93 because you couldn't putt a lick. If you get your putter going, you're a dangerous player to play with because you do not put yourself in trouble. Oh, I appreciate that, Jack. Hey, man, always enjoy that's having you on the show. I got to come to a compliment. I, I, that's probably, you know what? I've probably been nicer to you on your show today than <laughs> ever, and I'd like some credit for it. That, that's that, that's true. We'll we'll have to get back to the relentless mocking next time you're on. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Thanks, Jack. He is a good friend, an entertaining man, and an outstanding play-by-play voice for your Edmonton Oilers. That's Jack Michaels tonight on Inside Sports. Really appreciate that you are listening. Leon Dreisaitl, well, no doubter here. First star of the week for last week in the NHL. Two goals, eight points in three games. Last 11 games, Dreisaitl has at least a point in every game. Seven goals, 15 assists. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply for 22 points. Just incredible. Oilers up to 28, 18, and 6 on the year. Inside Sports on 630 Chet. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins is brought to you by Cam LLP Injury Lawyers. Representing injured people in Edmonton and across Alberta since 1962. Miller in the fight before, and I've well, he got run over a couple of times. Now Bernier's got an arm free without the big goalie pad on, and Miller's in a little trouble here. Ooh. He's giving it to him. Right hands. Oh, there's a goalie fight. Toronto Buffalo, Jonathan Bernier, Ryan Miller, September 22nd, 2013. Joe Bowen and Harry Neal giving a little commentary on that one. All right. Cam Talbot spoke today after uh, the Calgary Flames practiced, had this to say about fighting Mike Smith. I've seen him. He's a, he's a big boy, so I knew it wasn't really going to work out well for me. But uh, at, the, at the same time, it's just one of those things where it just felt like it was uh, the right thing to do in the moment. This portion of Inside Sports presented by Furnace Family. Experience the Furnace Family difference. Your furnace replacement specialist with over 500 five-star Google reviews. Call 780 family. A lot of fun talking about the Battle of Alberta. Things going well for the Oilers. 8-1-2 and two in their past 11. Oh, a little game called the Super Bowl was yesterday. 
Our Eskimos analyst, Blake Dermott, will break it down. I don't know if anybody nailed the score from our text predictions from Thursday. Uh, most people were picking the Chiefs. Few people thought the Niners would pull it out. And it looked like they were going to, but they didn't. Blake will tell you what happened. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins is brought to you by Cam LLP Injury Lawyers. Representing injured people in Edmonton and across Alberta since 1962. I believe on uh, their album, Bon Jovi dedicated this song to Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots, who, of course, did not participate in yesterday's Super Bowl, which was kind of a rare occurrence over <laughs> given the last few seasons. NHL tonight, Panthers have beaten the Maple Leafs 5-3. Mark Pesic, a hat trick. Mark Pesic, a hat trick. For the Florida Panthers tonight, former Edmonton Oil King. Stars over the Rangers 5-3. Flyers... Are, uh, that, sorry, that's with a minute left. Stars over the Rangers 5-3 and about 14 minutes left. Flyers lead the Red Wings 2-0. Oilers tomorrow, Dreisaitl, first star of the week. He's on fire, doing great with Yamamoto and Nuge. Oilers and Coyotes tomorrow, 5-30 face-off show. Game will start at 7, all here on 6-30 Chet. Fourth down and 25 for the Chiefs. They want to use up all five seconds remaining so that they don't give the ball back to San Francisco. Kansas City 31, San Francisco 20. Mahomes takes the snap. He is just going to throw it long for Demarcus Robinson. It is going to use up all the time. The game is over, and the Chiefs' kingdom has firmly planted its flag on top of football's highest summit. The Kansas City Chiefs are champions of Super Bowl 54. That is Mitch Holtus, longtime play-by-play voice of the Chiefs on the game 1350 with the call of the final play. The Chiefs turning it on in the last seven minutes to beat the San Francisco 49ers. One question that I get asked a lot, especially from younger listeners, is they'll say to me, Reed, what was Blake Dermott like as a player? And now I can say, well, did you see Shakira during the halftime show? As we welcome Blake Dervick to Inside Sports. Hi, Blake. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. How you doing, Reed? <laughs> I, I, I'm doing well. You know I always try to find a interesting way to introduce you, so I was pretty proud of myself yeah. for thinking of that one. Well, I, I, I know that I would have been on long-term IR if, I, if my lips, if my hips were, uh, didn't lie like that. I, I would not have been able to manage it. Ah, <laughs> uh, that was uh, that was that was, uh, that was good. I, I enjoyed. I usually like most halftime shows. I like. I feel like some people watch them just to hate them. I'm like, it's a it's a mini concert. Just enjoy it. But anyway, that's a that's a side note. Uh, all right. Well, quite a game. And Blake, I'm going to tell you something. I was watching this game with one of my best friends, who's a 49ers fan, and I, I hope I didn't. Well, I don't believe in curses, but you know, there's about seven and a half minutes left, and the Niners are up 10, and I said, I know you're nervous, buddy, but the the Chiefs aren't getting any big plays. Even if they score on this drive, it's going to take them five or six minutes, and they'll run out of time. Lo and behold, then they get 44 yards on third and 15, and the comeback was on. Yeah, it, you know, when you when you, you think about what the Chiefs managed, were, were able to do in the course of this uh, playoff uh, season, coming from behind, you know, in every game that they were in, um, just the 
the confidence that they had, the uh, the ability to be able to string together plays when they needed to, and uh, so much of that, you know, everybody everybody points the finger at Patrick Mahomes because he's pulling the trigger, but but I think so much of that comes from the leadership within the, in the organization and the coaching staff. And uh, I didn't have a dog in this fight. I mean, I, I mean, you know that I, I'm a, a Patriots fan and always have been a Patriots fan, but I have a whole ton of respect for Andy Reid and what Andy Reid's done. And uh, so if I was leaning towards a team to have success, I was leaning towards Kansas City. And, of course, when you got, you know, arguably the best quarterback in the league playing for that team, um, and you've got a Canadian, uh, uh, Duvernay Tardif from mm-hmm. McGill University. Uh, it wasn't a Canadian went down to American school. It was a, a Canadian who graduated from a Canadian university starting on the offensive line. And the cool thing is his backup is also Canadian. So, and and the, the, the I read in the paper, I wasn't even aware of this, but Andy Reid's mother graduated from McGill University. So, you know, this this was a, a real cool story and a, a lot of reasons to, to pull for that team. So, when, when you look at the game, and, and I've been reading a lot of the stuff today and, and, and uh, watching some of the commentary, Kyle Shanahan's the, the coach of the Niners, who obviously did a great job all season. He's being criticized for two things. For kind of not picking it up at the end of the first half and then throwing the long pass that Grant had got negated. But, you know, there's the criticism there that why didn't he go for points instead of being more conservative? And then some of the late game play calling that maybe they should have run the ball a little more since they've been such a good running team most of the season. Do do either of those fly with you? How did you see it, Blake? Well, I thought um, early, uh, again, you know, you're up, you're up 10 points at the end of the first quarter or at the end of the fourth, uh, third quarter and uh, um, you are managing the game you scored 17 unanswered points you've, uh, you've, you've done well and uh, you're, you're controlling the game And because let's face it, I didn't think Kansas City as you said, Kansas City wasn't lighting it up <clears throat> Kansas City had done a nice job coming out in the second half of, of sort of controlling and taking away the running game so there was a reason why San Francisco was putting the ball in the air is because they weren't having the success with the running game. They were early in the in this in the game. You know they were they were knocking off close to ten yards a carry early in the game. But that's a good coaching staff at halftime. Kansas City made some adjustments and and they start to take that away from them. So they put they put the Forty ers in a situation where you have to throw the ball. And you know one of the things that I I, I always like in football is a team that's balanced and a team that can do both things. And, you know, when you, Damian Williams for the Kansas City Chiefs, 104 yards, 19, or 17 carries, uh, and they, they were able to run the ball really well. Plus, they got a quarterback who threw for 286 yards. So I think it was 26 for 43 or something like that. Yep. Uh, they, they were very, very balanced. And, and you know, when you look at San Francisco, uh, much like the teams that have fallen by the wayside this year, uh, you know, Baltimore and, and Tennessee, those teams relied heavily on the run game, and, and they have been able to have success with that. But if you're going to win on the big stage, you may not have to do it, but you better be able to do both. And uh, Kansas City proved that they could do both better than San Francisco did. Blake, so I don't think I don't think Kyle Shanahan made any mistakes. I think Kansas City did a nice job of dictating what San Francisco was able to do. Blake Dermott, our Eskimos analyst, joining us on Inside Sports tonight, breaking down the uh, Chiefs Super Bowl victory. And it and it and again, like Blake, that one play I'm going to remember is that 44 yards on third and 15 because it just seemed 
then they got it going. And, and I know, you know, I talk to you and Rob Brown and other athletes all the time about confidence and doubt. And I wonder if that just shifted the scales, right? The Niners went from the confident team. You saw how they were celebrating that one interception. And then all of a sudden the Chiefs got that deep breath. Oh, yeah, okay, there we are. We got, we got the big chunk. Well, there's always there's always plays that are like that, and obviously that was a big play. How he got so open, like he like he did, you know, uh, that, that is amazing. But you know, you go earlier in the uh, in the first, or sort of near the end of the first half, and I believe when George Kittle catches a big long pass, and they get called for pushing off. Now, you know, they get they, they get that play, and it's a completely different game. It's there's your seven points. There's the the seventeen to ten score, and and I think if if, if San Francisco gets that that uh, reception that Kittle uh, got called back on, um, it's a different game. Uh, uh, San Francisco wins. So there's there's so many things in in every game, and you have opportunities though. I mean, again, when that big forty four yard pass, they didn't score on that play. Uh, there's other opportunities to stop the uh, stop Kansas City for San Francisco, but. But you're right. Mo gets going and he gets rolling down the hill. Sometimes it's tough to stop. And and that that uh, when a team like Kansas City's in been in those situations as much as they had been this year, they know that they had a lot of confidence coming. They know that they were able to to be able to come back because they'd done it before against really good teams. All right, Blake. Uh, just to shift focus a little bit, the, the Eskimos. Pretty big news last week. They extend Trevor Harris for a couple of years. This would have been the last season of his contract. Now he's signed through 2022, so he has three years left. Uh, you know, Milanovic got hired as the head coach. That that was a pretty big, big move. Uh, look, they're, they're, if I've always say, if you're not optimistic in the offseason, I'm not sure why you're a fan. <laughs> Having said that, everybody's undefeated right now. But it, it has been interesting. Um, a lot of uncertainty around the coaching position has now... You know, it seems a lot more stable four years from Milanovic, and he comes here with a pretty good reputation. Well, you know, uh, uh, Trevor Harris has, has, had worked with Milanovic before, so and he said, you know, you and he was really close with uh, with Jason Moss, but he said, you know, you get somebody in like Scott Milanovic, and, and uh, you just have to be excited because he is he is a uh, a different type of coach. He's a good, he's an excellent coach. He's a guy that virtually every team in the CFL would have liked to have gotten. If they didn't have somebody already lined up uh, to coach him, um, he is—he's uh, got uh, an excellent pedigree, and he's certainly got the magic touch when it comes to working with quarterbacks. Not to say that Jason Moss hadn't, because he'd had some pretty good success with the quarterbacks that he's had. Um, but uh, I think that coming into this season, the, the Eskimo fan base, the the players, are going to like playing for Scott Milanovic. I like the coaching staff that he's hired. I think he's got some really good people. And he's got, you know, it's not like he doesn't have some good clay to mold things. He's got some really strong, he's got a really strong group of players, uh, a core group of players to be able to work with. And and the way Brock Sunderland has been signing guys, uh, you know, because uh, I've said this ever since Brock Sunderland has been the general manager with the Eskimos, he hasn't missed. He's the hirings that the hires that he's made have been right on. He's brought in the right kinds of people for for the coaching staff. Now it's just up to the coaching staff and the, and the organization to be able to make sure that they have some success with it. And because uh, because Brock Sunderland's given him all the tools. All right, and I and I got to ask you. I mean, you and I talk a bunch of other sports off and on air whenever we run into each other. And, and I know you watch the Oilers closely. And I know you're probably not fond of teams from a certain southern Alberta city either. Uh, <laughs> How much of you? Uh, uh, how much did you enjoy some of the festivities on uh, Saturday night and some of the Oilers play lately? 
Well, I, I was sitting here, I was watching a game with my daughter and my, and my wife. And my daughter, uh, really, when, when the Oilers had their run in the Stanley Cup Finals, was, was quite young still. And uh, so she had never really seen, uh, she had never seen the Battle of Alberta. But she had never seen a goalie fight either. Because the last time the Oilers had a goalie fight was, what, 2004 with Ty Conklin? Yeah, I played um, the audio earlier. <laughs> yeah, 2004, that was such a long time ago. And so she'd never seen one, and she was like, that's a thing? <laughs> and I just, I, I, you know, it's, it's, been, it's been something that the NHL, and, and not just Edmonton fans and Calgary fans, because Calgary fans are just excited when they beat Edmonton last week. And, and, uh, but the NHL is, if those two teams are playing, I'll bet you every television in Canada, the ratings are going to be through the roof because people want to see what's going on there because they see that that's the way hockey was played. It's not played that way all the time. And I don't think those two teams could do that very often because there wouldn't be a whole lot of guys standing anymore. <laughs> but I tell you, when they do do when they do play like that, it is gold. It is it is uh, uh, it's magic, and people just watch it and love it and love the passion. And uh, and I'm a big fan of it. You know, and since I introduced you, a couple people have texted in saying, seriously, what kind of player was Blake? Uh, <laughs> do- dominant in a word? Oh, what as a football player? Yes. Um, uh, no, I, <laughs> I'll tell you the way I like to play, okay? As I, I used to say, Randy Ambrosi, of course, the CFL commissioner, and I used to call it propaganda blocking. And, uh, and what we would do is we would, we, I never wanted to get somebody mad. Uh, I never wanted to be punching the guy in the mouth or anything like that because I wanted the guy to go to sleep. So I was constantly telling the guy that he was doing a great job and, holy cow, you're going to run me out of the league and, holy <laughs> That's the way Randy, Brosie, Randy Ambrosi and I uh, approached the games. We, we wanted to make sure that uh, that we did not give anybody any incentive to beat us. Oh, that's funny. Propaganda blocking? That's what we called it, yeah. <laughs> well, it worked for you. You played, uh, what, 15 years? So 14, yeah. 14, yeah. Did, did pretty well. Blake, it's always fun to have you on the show. We're getting closer to that time of year. We're, we're going to be doing this a lot more often, but thanks for checking in tonight. Always appreciate your perspective. All right, Reed. Thank you. That is Blake Durbett, from, uh, the, our uh, analyst for our Eskimos broadcast, former Edmonton Eskimo, uh, giving us the lowdown on the, on the Super Bowl. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he kind of was the perspective there. And, and I've seen some of these tweets and headlines today. Well, did the Chiefs win it or did the 49ers lose it? And I, and I think Blake is saying, you know, the Chiefs won it. They got a good team. They got a lot of talent. And and eventually it shone through. He wasn't as, as critical as some of the things the 49ers did as, uh, as other people. Uh, you know, Kittle got called for offensive pass interference. That probably took some points off the board for the 49ers at the end of the game. Um, there was that close touchdown call on the uh, the run that put the Chiefs ahead. Uh, it was called a touchdown on the field. I think that would be tough to overturn, and I think he got the ball to the goal line before his foot hit out of bounds. But uh, and, and, you know, again, I said last week that Jimmy Garoppolo is a very good quarterback, but Mahomes is a great quarterback. And Mahomes ultimately made the plays, and, and the Niners had a deep shot to Sanders on third and 10 from midfield when they were down. And Sanders you know, wasn't by his cover guy by much, but he was by him. And Garoppolo sailed the ball over his head. And, and I think you know the, the great quarterbacks would have made that throw, and they either score on that play or they're inside the 10. But it turned out to be a pretty entertaining game. 
And uh, like I said, I got a couple of really good friends who are 49ers fans, so I would have been happy for them. But I like Mahomes. Andy Reid has been a great coach, and uh, the Chiefs, obviously, the whole 50-year story. So it's nice to see them get the championship. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins is brought to you by Cam LLP Injury Lawyers, representing injured people in Edmonton and across Alberta since 1962. All right, appreciate you tuning in tonight. You probably remember the Oilers lost 5-1 to the Flames on December 27th. The Oilers absolutely stunk in that game. Since then, they have gone 8 one and two, head coach Dave Tippett. Well, I think there's a really good feeling with our group right now, and it, and it, I mean, the Calgary game speaks for itself, but the night before, we beat a good team at St. Louis, too, so it's more about how we're playing, our mindset to, uh, you know, we're in a really competitive division. We've talked about, you know, playoff intensity, which is your, you know, your first of February here, and you're in playoff uh, intensity mode, so um, our guys, you know, they're in good spirits, but I think it's you have an emotional game in Calgary, but we thought we played real well in St. Louis too, so it's about how we're playing. And uh, with that controlled emotion, that, that gives us a chance to win. All right, a little bit there from Dave Tippett. Oilers skated today in Arizona. They will play on the road against the Coyotes tomorrow back home to face San Jose Thursday, Nashville on Saturday. That's the next three games for your Edmonton Oilers. Uh, Leon Dreisaitl continuing to uh, fly along. And he knows every game is big at this time of year. Well, Dreisaitl does know that, but my computer's frozen, Angie. So I can't play the clip. We need an old-fashioned tape player. That's what we need. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I'm getting the little spinning circle on my computer. We're all that in the race. Like, oh, there every it is. Every team is in. Every, every point counts. So it's easy for us to get up for games and, and get excited. So, um, yeah, tomorrow's obviously a good test for us. It's a good team. Um, games are always tight against them. Um, so, yeah, you know, looking to keep keep going what, what we've been building over the last little bit here and, um, you know, hopefully get another two points. This is the, the delayed gratification. Waiting for the dry settle clip. The Big L texts in. He says, not saying the Oilers have what it takes to go all the way, but finally we can appreciate some depth players such as Bear and Yamamoto like the Penguins have with the likes of Rust and Sheary. Uh, Brian says, always nice to hear Blake on the show. Thanks, Brian. Always nice to have him on the show. Kevin says, how do the Flames manage to stay where they are in the standings with a goals for and against like they have? Well, yeah, their goal differential is negative, and sometimes that's an ultimate indication of uh, where they might wind up. i got to tell you about something here. You can go to the uh, contest page on 630Ched.com. You can look for the Hudson's Hot AF Wing Challenge. Now, I'm going to have to ask around what AF stands for. The Hudson's Hot AF Wing Challenge. You can uh, enter to win a $100 gift card to your favorite Canadian pub, Hudson's. And if you accept the Hudson's Hot AF Wing Challenge, you could win free wings for a year. Now, something is afoot here, and I think I'm getting pulled into it. Something is afoot with these hot wings that are apparently deadly hot. And there's been, there's been little comments made around the office that I'm going to be uh, voluntold to try these wings. I, I, I don't mind spicy food. I don't mind hot wings. I do have a point, though, where I'm just not enjoying it. 
but but you know I, there there's little there are whispers, you know there are whispers around the office that I'm somehow going to be part of this Hudson's Hot AF Wing Challenge. That you can find out more on the contest page on 630Ched.com. I gotta admit, I think I know what AF means. I don't think I can say it. Um, but that those wings would be pretty hot. And I think I might get AF'd up if I were to eat them. But I, but I think that one way or another, I'm going to have to consume them. So there's an ongoing little little bat, little subplot, little subplot to inside sports, right? Like it's it's like okay, like the the plot might be Chrissy and Janet are having trouble with a new neighbor, but the subplot is Jack and Larry are trying to sell his couch down at the Regal Beagle. Angie, did you get any of that? Not fully of the reference, but I totally get what you're talking about. Okay. Yes. Panthers beat the Maple Leafs 5-3. Mark Pesek, former Oil King, gets a hat trick for the Panthers. Stars beat the Rangers 5-3. Flyers up 2-0 on the Red Wings with two and a half minutes left. Oilers-Coyotes tomorrow, 5.30 face-off show game at 7, right here on 6.30 Chet. Thanks to Angie Quinnell, our studio producer this evening. Dave Campbell is the producer of Inside Sports. My name is Reed Wilkins. It is always a pleasure to be on the air speaking with you. 6.30 Chet, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chet.